Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas to me so that you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com, our bargain site where you see deals as they happen that are deals that our deal diggers think are worth your time and potentially your money if you like something. Coming up in a few minutes, I have an update in my Clark Rage on something that I shared with you before where the, the law has come down on people that are selling baked goods that they bake in their own home. And I have an interesting update for you on that. And later this hour, already the first steps are underway to deal with what would be lifetime consequences for us because of the massive data breach at Equifax. I'm going to fill you in on where it looks like things are going to go from here to try to restore some security to you and me because you got to assume virtually every American adult is vulnerable because of the Equifax data breach. So the president has signed an executive order to change health care delivery in the United States after the U.S. House and U.S. Senate could not come to an understanding or agreement on how to reform health care coverage in the United States. The president issued an executive order that mandates some changes in how health care is delivered And I want to explain outside of the political whirlwind as best I can how this plays. So the first key element, and there are many wrinkles to this, but the first key one is to allow people to pool in order to basically set up their own coverage. And these are known as association plans or uh, multiple employer welfare groups. And what happens is the idea is that people with a common interest may be independent um, auto repair shops that are small auto repair shops can band together and in theory use group buying power to purchase health insurance for their employees or for themselves that would be potentially cheaper than what you can now get as a small business. Uh, The reason that these plans tend to be cheaper is that the mandates that are required under Obamacare don't apply. So there can be limits on how much an illness can cost, limits on what's covered, uh, and so it is not equivalent insurance through these uh, group buying co-ops, if you will, but it does provide the ability to buy insurance a lot cheaper. So you're getting less, but you're paying substantially less for it. Because the problem for a lot of people with the insurance rules under Obamacare is that the insurance is quite thorough and what it covers 
comprehensive, but the premiums for the policies have been backbreaking for a lot of people. So the idea of allowing small businesses to band together and buy uh, less comprehensive policies is that it would create a significantly lower premium. Now, the other part of this is to allow individuals to buy very basic policies. And these policies would have minimal coverages and tight caps on what they would pay. They'd be very cheap, and they would appeal as they did in the past, back last decade, they'd appeal very heavily to people that are young and healthy, who look at the cost of premiums under the uh, state or federal exchanges, and because young people on the exchanges subsidize older people and unhealthy people, those who have illnesses, the insurance coverage for younger people will be quite a bit cheaper. I mean, not even close. Now, that all probably sounds good to you, cheaper for small businesses, cheaper for individuals. The other shoe to drop, though, is that ultimately it means that the insurance coverage for people that are past age 45 and people who have illnesses will skyrocket in premium. And there's no other way to state that. Because if you take out people that are younger and healthier out of the risk pools, what you're left with are people who, because of a pre-existing condition or because they're older, cannot live without the insurance. And as less and less people remain in the higher risk pools, the cost of those premiums that are already very high shoot to the moon. And so this, the things with health care, every time you do something to try to relieve the pressure cooker of higher premiums, you have a risk on the other side. And that's why a couple of months ago I talked about what Minnesota has done, which I thought was really smart. And if you didn't hear me talk about what Minnesota has done, is what they do is that the premiums are held down for people regardless of age who buy as individuals or small businesses because there's a reinsurance fund when someone is stricken with a serious illness that would mess up the premium picture for everybody and you use the reinsurance fund to cover the people who have a cancer or a chronic illness. But there are no easy answers on health care. That's why it's been a conundrum for both political parties as far back as you can look, and it will continue to be so looking forward. Jay joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jay. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Jay. So you have a question for me, which is one of those things that there's a trite phrase, it's too good to be true, so it's poss- it can't possibly be, right? That's or, exactly what or, it sounds like. Or any way you would phrase that. I, I just can't imagine how, how it works, so I'm, I'm very skeptical. So what are we talking about here? 
Um, so there's Movie Pass that you you pay ten dollars a month, and you're able to see a movie every day if you wanted to. Um, current movies, you know, not old movies, but current movies. Yeah, you just go not, to the theater. Yeah, exactly. And as long as they're not 3D or the IMAX, you can you can see them. And it just sounds too good to be true for $10 a month. Well, MoviePass, when it first came out, was, as I recall, 39 in most cities and 49 a month in high-cost cities. And the take-up rate was like nothing. And so they decided, why don't they go for it? So they now make it available at $10 a month, and that's infuriated the big movie theater chain, AMC, because they feel like they're, uh, that movie passes is destroying the value, perceived value of a movie theater ticket. But you absolutely can do this, and movie pass loses money on every person who signs up for it every month. I don't oh, wow. understand what they're up to, but it really does work. So I need to jump on it before. Well, I mean, I would say in. with something like this, you use it till they don't exist anymore or they go back to higher pricing. Gotcha. So I definitely want to get on that deal. Yeah, because, I mean, if you love movies, and even if you went to the movies three times in a month, you're paying. $3 and change per movie you see. Can't beat that. It's a really, really good deal. Well, thank you very much. I'll definitely jump on that as soon as I'm, um, I hang up. Perfect. And with this, like any other monthly subscription, if you thought it was a good idea but you never find yourself going to the movies, it's still $10 a month you're spending for something you don't use. As long as you're using it, great. But if you end up not ever going to the theater cancel it and you can cancel at any time linda's with us on the clark howard show linda i was just talking about minnesota a minute ago did you hear that i did yeah so how are you doing i am well how are you good i don't know if you know this i used to lead canoeing trips in the boundary waters canoe area did you ever go up there i have not it's uh for people who aren't aware it's um all the way up where the province of Ontario meets northern Minnesota, and it's complete wilderness, and you portage from lake to lake. That means carry a canoe and backpacks uh, and go from lake to lake, and then uh, you paddle around, and there's no motorboats or anything like that. It's very remote. And do you know about the mosquitoes in northern Minnesota? I sure do. Yeah, they're bigger than a small bird. Yeah. And they, That's what people say, yeah. And they their bite is like a bee sting bite. It's it's pretty bad. Yeah, the mosquitoes are pretty big here. Well, I used to go there as a kid as a camper and then went back as a counselor, so I went back for more punishment. <laughs> so you are thinking of opening a Roth IRA. Yes, I am. How can I, I help you with that? Open. I will have some money to invest in a Roth, and I have been doing some research on your favorite companies. I just am not sure which one I should go with, and I'm I'm happy to take some risk. Well, so 
if you go in one of the target retirement funds where they automatically change the mix of investments, mm-hmm. you'll still you're in your forties, is that right? Yes, I'm forty seven. All right. So you'll still be very heavily in a stock type focus in your forties. And then through the years moving forward, they'll make it steadily more conservative for you. So you don't have to figure out how to rebalance the Roth. You don't have to figure out, oh, I have too much stock, too little, too many bonds, too many alternative investments. Mm. In the Target Retirement Fund, they just make that happen for you. Okay. And you can see what I mean if you look, like if you went to um, uh, Fidelity or Vanguard and you look at their Target Retirement Funds, you can see, like, if you looked at what they're doing for people that are in a 2020 fund versus what they're doing for somebody in a 2035 and 2050, you'll see how they steadily change the mix of investments based on how close you are to theoretical retirement age. Okay. And, of, you know, I have these favorite children, but yes. if you're going to do a target retirement fund, go with whoever's cheapest for those. Okay. Which is likely, if I remember right, is going to be Vanguard, which I think is 0.15% per year to manage the money for you, mm-hmm. which is like free. And of course, there's no commission going into it. Yes. Do they all have the same, roughly the same investments? No, everybody uh, crunches the numbers differently. You're far enough out from theoretical retirement that they'd be very similar. You see more variation in them as you get uh, right close to retirement age and past it. Clark, thank you so much. Sure, and I love uh, your show. And you can save fifty five hundred this year, and then turn around the very beginning of the year, you can pop in another fifty five hundred. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. Good job. This is such a great follow-up because there are times that government interferes in life that just absolutely eats at me. Like when I talked about the poor child who got arrested for having the lemonade stand and how ridiculous that was. Well, now I have a follow-up for you when I talked about the people who were arrested for selling baked goods in the state of Wisconsin. And Wisconsin has a law that makes it a crime for you to sell homemade breads, brownies, pies, anything like that. And so anyway, these people went to court against the state of Wisconsin and won. The state was still defiant and tried to get the judge to say that this only applied to the people who had gotten in trouble for baking goods, and the judge said, nope, nope, this extends to all other individuals in the state of Wisconsin. You are free to sell baked goods, not to get around laws, but if you're doing a baked goods sale that's a tiny one, you're doing it for a fundraiser, whatever, you don't have to have any kind of oversight from the state of Wisconsin And it is so ridiculous that a state would interfere in people's lives like that. And I saw an item that there are only two states that were doing this anyway, but 
the individuals were facing a year in jail, a year in jail for baking out of their own home. Now, tell me, are we a country that should encourage entrepreneurship or should we try to squash entrepreneurs like a buck? And there's no excuse for the state to say that you can't make goods, sell them at an event, special event, and now Wisconsin's been set straight. And I think about all the laws around the country that are set up specifically to crush entrepreneurship, and one by one I'm going to bring light to those, and we need to do everything we can to encourage entrepreneurs, not shut them down, send them to jail for a year, really? It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to keep more of what you make. Let me hit you with one of those right now. There's a flash sale from Southwest Airlines that you have to buy by midnight tonight that's good for travel late October to February 14th, although I've found the sale fares on flights after that date, so you may get lucky beyond that date. The reason this sale is special is that it's a zone fare. $49 for places uh, somewhat close to you, $79 for places that are, figure places that are 10 to 12 hour drives from where you live. Those are $79. $99 for pretty far away and coast to coast is typically 119 to 149 one way on this sale. Scattered matches on this, but remember, you must buy today on this sale. Now, I can't believe that this is going to feel like deja vu. New information about a new breach at Equifax. This isn't a joke. Equifax that has already suffered the most catastrophic breach in the modern era with the information of 145.5 million Americans fully exposed. Now, Equifax says they have taken down some access to their website because they've been hit reportedly by a breach that first was reported on technology blogs last night. And what the criminals have done is that when you go to the site, they say, to go further, you need this update to your computer, and it downloads a spyware virus to your computer. I mean, who can make this stuff up? And my producer, Kim, said, how is it that with this having gone on for months and months, with Equifax knowing about this massive breach and just not knowing the scale of it, how could they still have such terrible security that another breach would happen? And that's really a question for Equifax to answer. But I need for you to know that if you have been to Equifax's site recently and you got an alert to download an update to your computer, you need to run an antivirus, anti-spyware quickly. We have links to ones you can use that are free on our free and cheap page at Clark.com. Now, also, 
Equifax now says that 11 million Americans' driver's license numbers have been leaked. And these cross-reference with people whose dates of birth, social security numbers, current address, prior addresses, all the information the hackers got. Now they also have, for 11 million of those people, their driver's license numbers, which creates potential uh, forms of identity theft well beyond just applying for credit in your name. Now, I know this can all be overwhelming, and it's like, when am I going to shut up about Equifax? But this is really serious stuff. So serious that one of the top Republicans in the U.S. House is proposing legislation that will outlaw the use of Social Security numbers as a personal identifier by, at the minimum, the credit bureaus in a little more than two years' time. Now, that is just a recognition of the reality that Equifax's carelessness has led to an insecurity for most adult Americans where we are subject to identity theft for the rest of our lives. And this is going to set off a mad scramble. By the way, the White House has also weighed in on eliminating the use of Social Security numbers as an identifier for anything else but Social Security or Medicare. Because the system's broken. But in the meantime, till new ways of identifying you and me come into effect, you need to follow the steps I've got at Clark.com about mitigating the damage that occurs when somebody pretends they're you. And there's also a risk that has been identified for anyone who is 62 or older, Social Security eligible, but not taking Social Security yet, that through this breach, criminals are able to cross-reference. And if someone has not started taking Social Security to falsely claim they are that individual, set up direct deposit, and have the money, could be for years without your knowledge, go to them instead of to you. So Social Security has a system where you can set up your own portal with Social Security known as a My Social Security account, and you will be able to track what's going on with your Social Security account. And this is something anyone approaching age 62 should do because this is, I mean, think about this. The feds have no procedure in place. What's going to happen with your eligibility and all that if a criminal impersonates you and direct deposits for months or years your Social Security benefits? And it's crazy, but the databases they use to verify identity are the very ones at risk because of the Equifax breach. So please, if you are 62 approaching it, set up a My Social Security account, and then you're able to monitor what's going on with your account instead of years later saying, wait, 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 I did not claim Social Security three years ago or five years ago or whatever, 
try to unwind that. So this is an ongoing hassle, an ongoing problem, and as new layers are exposed, we're going to keep you updated on Clark.com. Now, I mentioned to you before the risk level to people who have more assets of the criminals looking for people who've got real money in retirement accounts or brokerage accounts or could be in a bank account. Well, there's another Equifax database that Krebs on Security has been able to find real vulnerability with where hackers are able to find out who makes a lot of money. Then they can take that information, cross-reference it with all the information on people that was compromised in the main Equifax breach, and they're able to go after mutual fund, brokerage accounts, you, you name it, because they'll have who were the high-income earners, and they'll have the social security numbers and all the rest being able to cross-reference. So what you need to take to heart is what I do is routine practice, and that is any accounts that you have big money in, just check them once a week. Make sure nothing funny is going on, that your money is where it should be, because you don't want to find out when you get a quarterly statement from your 401k that all that money has skedaddled. Now, I hate talking about all this because it creates insecurity in people and anxiety. But I have a duty, I have a responsibility to you to tell you where the risks are so that you can take the best steps to protect yourself. And until and unless it becomes the law of the land that Social Security numbers can no longer be used for purposes other than Social Security and Medicare, we stand at risk. Bill is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bill. Well, hello, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly, Bill. You got a check in the mail unsolicited. Tell me about this. Oh, boy, did I ever. Well, I've been a long-time Clarkaholic, so it's a privilege talking with you. Thank I you. Responded to, I responded to an email, and um, it was for a secret shopper at a local grocery chain that I shop at frequently. And I, um, I responded to it because it had a link to the actual website of the grocery store. So I went over there and looked at all their community programs and, and employment opportunities, and I thought, well, hey, this is cool. So I did respond with my home address, and they mailed me a, a wonderful check for $1,880. Now that's a huge amount to get for doing some secret shopping. Well, sure is. Well, they also sent a very detailed, informative um, communication and uh, said that uh, uh, all I had to do was purchase gift cards, of course, uh, for a certain amount, $1,600 worth, and scratch off the PIN numbers and take a picture of it and send it to them. And, of course, the remaining money of $280 was mine to keep for my generosity for this glorious opportunity to help out my, my grocery store. That does not compute. So you, as a longtime Clarkaholic, you know the scam, right? I, I'm sitting here looking at this check, and, and Clark, it's a real check. It has all the security features of the check. It's, 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 it's a bona fide real deal. It's not just a laser copy, I don't think. 
It's it's a phony as it could be. Mm, okay. It's completely bogus. And the way this scam works is you do the scratch off, you give them the information, they empty those fifteen hundred dollars in in gift cards, mm. and then you deposit the eighteen hundred eighty dollars in your checking account, and it yeah. may be as long as six weeks, but it'll come back wow. bounced. Wow. The ability for anyone with actually fairly basic knowledge to generate false checks, false cashier's checks, false official checks, company checks, bank checks, any of them, it's so easy now that mm. that this is not the real deal. Okay. All right. Well, there's watermarks on the check. Michael Doesn't mean anything. It. It doesn't. Uh, okay. Well, I hear you, and that's what I figured. I, I knew that if I called you, you'd you'd set the record straight and perhaps help fellow listeners because there's a lot of detail, a lot of information, a lot of things to, to be communicated um, back to them. And, of course, all they're interested in is those gift cards, I'm sure. Exactly. Exactly. And they do this again and again, and they get a lot of hits, a lot of people that will go do the shop, secret shopping like you did, and it all seems so credible, but when it bounces later as a, as a counterfeit check, then it's pretty incredible. And if you, Bill, you want cross-validation on this, you can, the check was issued by the supermarket chain, supposedly? No, it's actually, it's, on, it's drawn on a major uh, large bank in the United States. Well, you can talk to that bank and they'll tell you that the check is, uh, they may not know in the first pass, but they'll be able to verify for you that the check is, in fact, a counterfeit. There is no such ability for you to be able to do what they have promised to send all these gift card, all the gift card information, and make $380 for your time and effort. It's completely a con. Mandy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mandy. How's it going? Hey, Clark. Doing well. How are you? Great. Thank you. So you have a leased car, and you don't know what's next. Yes, that is correct. So I know there's a few options once I get out of my lease. Um, It was my first and only. And I hope to make a smarter decision going forward with the money that I have in the bank. So tell me what you're looking at is what you think may be your best options at the end of the lease. Well, so at the end of the lease, there are two things that I was looking at doing. One was buying a fairly new car. I know some dealerships and brands offer a fairly low percentage rate, so 0% for however many months. Um, and in those months, pay off the car you know, with the payment that I have by putting some money down. Um, or buying an older vehicle, um, something maybe certified pre-owned, and then buying it all at once. So those two options, preferably. All right, let's talk a third option, because you do have the option of buying the vehicle you've been leasing. Correct. Is that not something you're considering? Because you know that used car. Yes, and that would be wonderful. Um, However, because of the brand of the vehicle, the maintenance would be more than it would be worth, probably. Okay. Year over year. So this this was... uh, a fun thing to have, and now you want to do something more practical. 
Correct, correct. Okay, so let's talk through, though, whether it would make sense, even though you're worried about maintenance, to buy the vehicle that you're leasing. And so I'd start with this. The residual value in the lease, is it favorable to you or unfavorable? Um, un- I would say unfavorable based on what I know I could get for what I would need to pay for that vehicle. Okay, so in your under the mileage cap, are you going to have any mileage overage? I will not have any mileage overage. I negotiated a very good mileage rate um, and a good car payment at the beginning of the lease. Okay, so you're going to can this car, obviously. I was trying every angle to see if it made sense to keep it, and obviously it makes sense for you to dump it. So if you're going to dump it, make sure that you thoroughly photograph the inside and outside of the vehicle before you turn it in. Okay. Because it's common when you turn a lease in that they'll try to hit you with huge assessments for re, uh, wear and tear on the vehicle. Sure. So you want to show that you've left it in good shape. If there's anything wrong with it, fix it before you turn it in. And okay. when you look for a new vehicle, how much cash do you have? Um, it, I, I would like to spend between fifteen and 25000 Well, in that price range, you can even buy a brand new vehicle if you wish. Uh, or you can buy used. And the sweet spot in the market is roughly three-year-old vehicles. Okay. And what I'd like for you to do if you're going to buy three years old is don't worry about that whole certified thing you mentioned or any of that. Start with Consumer Reports and their record of reliability. They have a list of the used vehicles by price band that they recommend you look at, and that's based on massive data. Nobody has data like they have. And so stick to one of their reliable vehicles in your target price range, and then when you find, I'd like for you to find two or three different models you're interested in. After you find those that you're comfortable with that are on the recommended list, look at individual vehicles. But I've got steps on Clark.com, how to make sure the price you're being offered is fair, and that you need to check that vehicle out with a mechanic of your choosing before you buy it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you tuning in to The Clark Howard Show. And if you'd like more fun stuff to listen to by podcast, well, we have our Empowerment Zone. This is where you get to hear the stories of people that have done amazing things, either in overcoming hardship in their lives or things they've done to accomplish. Go to clark.com slash empowermentzone.